if you start from the beginning with that kind of relationship, it, it really does help prepare children to be successful in school. And isn't it amazing that a model developed so long ago is still being used and used effectively? Welcome to the Raising Young Children in Wake County podcast, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, former school psychologist, currently a child psychologist, and a former parent of a child in Project's demonstration preschool. I also recently served as the board chair and am currently still serving on the Project Enlightenment Foundation as a board member. The goal of this podcast is to expand services to the young children in Wake County through parent education. In this 10-episode podcast series, we will include interviews with experts in early childhood education, psychology, and pediatrics to discuss topics including the importance of play, managing toddler behavior, language and motor development, kindergarten readiness, how to set up routines, and parent mental wellness. Today, we're going to start with some background. Project Enlightenment began in 1969 when the Raleigh Public Schools received a three-year grant to create a collaborative mental health and education program. This program was to provide a training site for child psychiatry residents at Dorothea Dix Child Psychiatry Program to serve the mental health needs of young children. This was a really innovative idea in 1969. Project Enlightenment has since served young children and their families in a variety of ways across Wake County and is currently a part of the Office of Early Learning in Wake County Public School System. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Charlie Kronberg and Dr. Barbara Still to help give us even more of a historical context for the mission of Project Enlightenment Foundation and the passion we all share for Project Enlightenment. Dr. Charlie Kronberg is a clinical psychologist who received a PhD from Duke in 1975 and then completed a child psychology postdoctoral fellowship at the UNC Chapel Hill Medical School. He came to Project Enlightenment in 1974, where he worked as one of the first part-time psychologist employed by the program. Until his retirement in 2008, he served in various roles, including staff psychologist, coordinator of the demonstration preschool, and assistant director. After his retirement, he helped organize the Project Enlightenment Foundation and served on the board of directors of the foundation for six years and currently serves on the board of advisors. Dr. Barbara Still is a mother, grandmother, and wife of 53 years. She is also a child psychologist who specializes in infants, young children, and autism. She's passionate about Project Enlightenment as she trained there in the 1980s with Dr. Kronberg, consulted with staff and many programs at Project Enlightenment, and has been on the board of advisors and the board of directors of Project Enlightenment Foundation and currently serves as our chair. Welcome, Dr. Charlie and Dr. Barbara. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to start by asking Charlie, why was this idea of a program that focused on mental health and education such a big deal in 1969? Well, because the focus was on young children. We were working with children in childcare centers, preschool, and public school, but at that time there was no public kindergarten, so we were working with first graders. We were working both in the public sector, but also with with preschool and daycare because the focus was supposed to be on prevention. And this was a new concept. We said, let's try to identify problems early and try to stop them from getting worse or out of control. 
there was really nothing much to draw from. There was very little research. It hadn't been done before. There was really no model to draw from. There were a few therapeutic preschools and some other programs, but there was nothing that we could say, oh, well, we can go back here and find it. We Mm -hmm. had to do it on our own. And what we learned very quickly was that people didn't want mental health professionals coming into educational Mm -hmm. settings. They told us young children do not have mental health problems. (laughs) Uh, Mental health carried a big stigma at that time Mm -hmm. and so much more than today. So that's been a real change. But what we found out was when we went in and talked to teachers and administrators on a one-on-one and gained their trust, they was they were aware that these problems existed. And while they weren't easily open to asking for help, once they got to trust us, they really wanted it. Mm-hmm. So that was our challenge at that time. One thing that helped was that we hired people who had been teachers at earlier point in their career and then had mental health background. Mm-hmm. And and knowing that another teacher was coming into their classroom rather than a mental health professional mm-hmm. allowed the teachers to accept what was being offered and it helped bridge gaps. So these teacher consultants, we called them, would spend time in the classroom helping teachers, sometimes helping teachers serve food, whatever, (laughs) just to gain their trust. But then they also observed children where there were concerns. Mm -hmm. And they just sat and watched the children and watched the teachers and were very patient. And they could see things from the teacher's perspective. And then they could help the teachers see things from the children's perspective. The model was to collaborate. We're working together we're going to teach you the skills that we have so that you can use them in the classroom. And that's always been a focus of Project Enlightenment. We, mm-hmm. We're collaborating with other people. We're not there to tell you what to do right. or, or, you know, help run your life. Uh, they collaborated with teachers to work out a plan for a child, how to help, say, an anxious child gradually become more comfortable interacting with their peers, mm-hmm. how to help an aggressive child used words rather than than fighting mm-hmm. to get their needs met. Mm-hmm. And um, and what we found was that once one teacher in a center or a school used the services and felt good about it, others wanted it. Mm-hmm. And, and it took off, right? It took off, yeah. Yeah. So it, but what it took was patience, trial and error, trust building. But we found that the model worked. We found that if we could get in early, help the teacher find strategies that work with the children, Mm -hmm. we could see these children having a whole different attitude towards school and learning. And we saw ourselves preventing problems that could have developed later on Mm -hmm. in many cases. And I know in my work as a former school psychologist, what you're explaining, you know, way back over 50 years ago is what I was trained on in the early 2000s with consultation with teachers. And I'm the mental health professional, even though I'm employed by the school, I'm not a teacher. And I had we, we had to learn to go in there and form an alliance with teachers before we ever recommended anything. And it was there was an, there's an art to it. And it sounds like 
you all knew that was important right? because this probably would not have worked if the mental health experts had gone into education settings and told people what to do. Mm-hmm. We all know that from know our work that. in children right. too. It, it doesn't right. work when you just tell them what to do. Right. And, and we learned that rather quickly. Rather quickly. But developed a model that then incorporated the things mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and as Charlie's talking about uh, the model, which was brilliant back when it was in done, you all actually didn't invent mm-hmm. it, I guess, but you, you were implementing this wonderful model. I'm hearing in my head all these programs that have developed in the last decade, two decades, if I could name one, Conscious Discipline. These are programs that really listen to children, bond with children and their parents, figure out what the whole system is going on. Mm-hmm. And we know from research that this model, working with zero to five, affects outcomes in the future, like after after high school, mm-hmm. which is amazing. One funny story that Alice Burroughs, who was the director for 37 years, she was their mm-hmm. first director, and couldn't be here. Sadly, I really wanted her to be here because she just knows this beginning. But the funny story she told me, Charlie, was that a lot of this was conceived before they got the grant at the kitchen table at Sylvia Henderson, who was a teacher, and then she her was husband, a social worker, mm-hmm. social worker, in the schools. And then she and her husband Wayne worked at Dick's child psychiatrist, at, at the mental health. Dick's, mm-hmm. excuse me. A lot of people don't remember it was a mental health hospital. Mm-hmm. And then with Tom Hayslip, who stayed our consultant, child psychiatrist from Duke, really merging the idea of mental health with education. And it was just them sitting at the table talking mm-hmm. about it in '98, maybe. It's just 68. brilliant. 68. 68. Mm-hmm. 68. Thank you. Yeah. So, Barbara, I know Project Enlightenment staff, way back at the beginning, decided that they needed services to be educational but be informed by research, which we didn't have a lot of at the time, mm-hmm. if any. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about the decision to set up the classroom setting where they mix typically developing students and students who need support mm-hmm. and where that all evolved from? Well, as I understand it, it was originally called Demonstration Nursery School. It was later changed to Demonstration Preschool, which we still have. And my son went to. Your son went to. (laughs) It was originally established as a demonstration center with guided observation to educate teachers and parents. Ahead of its time, the project staff and consultants saw the benefit of having an inclusion classroom. And remember, there were no models or literature to guide them. In fact, the word inclusion wasn't even used back yeah, then. The, we sort of used mainstreaming, that but not was, really. That was the word that was used, yeah. mainstreaming. And yeah. So someone knew somewhere inclusion. along the way that there was a benefit to children playing together, children with different skill levels mm-hmm. playing together exactly. at that age. Now, shortly after, in 95, public law 94-142, mm-hmm. but this was before this. That was the act that said... Children deserved an education right. regardless so, of mental or physical handicaps. So in 1975, 75. Public Law 94142 was passed nationally. Um, it's now called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, mm-hmm. and it states that all children have the right to a free and appropriate mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. So that began 
the era of, you know, school staff having to figure out how to educate all children. Mm -hmm. Um, You no longer could say this child is not able to come to school. They, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. are not going to be able to be educated. That was illegal Mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. However, the infrastructure to teach children who learned Mm -hmm. in a different way wasn't there yet. Except Mm. the project was already doing this demonstration class that was showing the benefits of the, well, social emotional advantages of having these children with challenges grouped with more mm-hmm. typically developing peers, some observers couldn't even tell the difference, mm-hmm. is what I've heard, when they would be observing right. back then. And remember, this was play-based. Mm-hmm. This was not a sit down at a table and do your ABCs. No. This was a play-based model, also ahead of its time. And they were taught social emotional skills, like how to listen, respect each other, turn-taking, everything I ever learned, I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> Except there was not even kindergarten back then. Right. Right. And so. and one of the things that goes back to what I said, if a consultant was in a classroom with a teacher, they could bring that teacher to the observation booth of the demonstration preschool and say, you can see some of these techniques model. Mm-hmm. And then they would watch the demonstration preschool teacher and say, oh, I could do that. Mm -hmm. Or the consultant could say, well, let's go back to your classroom and see how you could incorporate that into your your services. So it really served a function beyond just educating the students who were there. Right. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who has not visited Project Enlightenment in downtown Raleigh, the most innovative thing about that classroom is the observation booth. It is a very large observation booth where a whole group of probably 20 teachers Mm -hmm. could sit Mm -hmm. and watch the classroom flow, the teachers do their thing, Mm -hmm. and learn by just watching and not disrupting the interaction mm-hmm. of the teachers because we all know when you walk into a classroom all the kids break their attention with what they're playing <laughs> and and they're so curious why you're there and it, it's hard to observe young children because mm-hmm. they just want to connect with you um so that booth is is really magical for oh, the yes. teachers to be able to see the interactions and learn from it without mm-hmm. the children knowing and isn't it amazing that a model developed so long ago is still being used mm-hmm. and it used effectively I just, I find that so interesting. So Charlie, tell us about how the project staff wanted to expand services into child care centers in the community to involve parents more. So how did that come about? Well, you know, as we worked with the teachers and and our our first service was to work with the teachers in the classroom. But as we worked with the teachers, we quickly realized it wasn't enough to teach strategies to teachers. Mm -hmm. We had to get the parents involved. Of course, we had to get parent permission to work with the teachers, but but we had to get the parents really involved. And as we talked to the parents, we saw they had concerns. The model we developed was recognized that there weren't enough mental health professionals to go around. And that what we needed to do is teach key adults in children's lives to be the providers. That mm-hmm. And that is both parents and teachers. And parents Mm -hmm. are with the child for their whole life. The teacher may be there for one year. The collaborative team quickly included parents. And um, we changed the job title of the provider from teacher consultant to parent-teacher consultant. And we also hired parent educators and counselors. Uh, And we recognized that the parent was the key adult who would be with that child more than any one teacher. We started doing parent education classes. 
we were the first agency in Wake County to do parent education classes and uh, recognize that this is how to really make prevention work. Mm -hmm. Because those classes were open to any parent Mm -hmm. and they could come and take a class and, and... from a mental health professional, but yes. there was no stigma involved, right? And and, um, and 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 learn things that they didn't know or that they knew, but but how to make it better. So it seems self evident now, but back then it was a new concept, mm-hmm. and we demonstrated that when a parent, a teacher, and a professional work together, you can make a real big difference mm-hmm. in a young child's life. So. Absolutely. And um, you're making me think about, I feel like that right now after the pandemic, or I guess we're still in it, but we don't have enough mental health professionals. And as a child psychologist, I keep thinking about all the parent coaching and all the parent training that I've done in parent sessions of young children who could not do telehealth over the pandemic and actually how effective it was that, Mm -hmm. you know, even though I can't meet with your child during the pandemic, I can teach Mm -hmm. you how to play with your child Mm -hmm. over a telehealth call. And it's the same model. And it's been, you know, really rewarding to see. So Charlie, in um, 1976, anyone who's from Raleigh knows that the school systems merged. We used to have two school systems, Raleigh City Schools and Wake County Public School System. So I believe prior to that, Project Enlightenment was only serving Raleigh, children, young children and families in Raleigh. So can you tell us more about how Project Enlightenment expanded services to cover the whole county, which they're still doing? Well, I I think three things happened close to the same time. As you said, the, the two school systems merged. Public kindergarten was established for the whole state of North Carolina. It came in gradually, but but within, I think, three years, every child was entitled to attend public school kindergarten. The project, fortunately, received a federal grant from the National Institute of Mental Health that was the first time that organization funded a school system to provide mental health services. Mm-hmm. That had not been heard of before. And we got a pretty large grant, and that allowed us with also the help of the school system because they were expanding to expand our services to serve all of Wake County. So at that time, we moved into the kindergartens. We stopped our services to first grade because we just, there just wasn't the staff available to do that. And so we could serve uh, you know, all of the kindergarten programs in Wake County and preschools and child care centers. And that was another innovative thing. Here's a a school system, recognizing that what happens before school is critical to mm-hmm. what happens once kids yeah. get to school. Yes, you know. yes. And we all know that so much more now, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to think that that was being practiced in the mid-70s is, is um, wild to think. So um, I know now, Barbara, the Project Enlightenment um, down in downtown Raleigh has this fantastic resource center. So I know it's evolved over time. The Resource Center is for parents and teachers of young children. A lot of people don't know about it. It's one of the first things I tell people if they don't know uh, about it. So can you tell us how that came about um, and why it's it's just such a wonderful place for young families? (laughs) Well, actually, I'm thinking Charlie may know that history a lot better than I do. 
I understand they started with a really makeshift. Um, it was before, even before the grant yeah. uh, from um, from the Kiwanis Club, but um, just well, what just a happened few books. was this this club gave us twelve books. <laughs> That's right. I read <laughs> and, twelve, and and we put them in the waiting room. People would pick them up and look at them, okay. and they were books on parenting or early childhood education. And then, you know, when people asked what could we contribute, we said, well, we're starting this library, and and it grew. And it didn't grow very large, but it, <clears throat> it continued to grow. And then the Junior League of Raleigh was looking for a project that could impact the whole community the fo- where the focus was on early childhood, and they chose Project Enlightenment. And so for a year, they sent a team of volunteers in to establish this resource center. And the, the work that was done was amazing. Uh, and, and so we transformed this 12-book library into a huge collection. And, um, and then when we moved into the building that we're in now, it got even, we got a second um, smaller grant from the Junior League to expand it even more, mm-hmm. and 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 the the volunteers are, are still available to help with the center. So and so, what's special about this resource center that's different from going to a Wake County Public Library or your school library at an elementary school? You have staff there who mm-hmm. know about early childhood. Right. So, okay. you know, if a parent is hesitant at what, well, what book should I take? The people there know enough so that they could help that parent. Mm-hmm. There's also a production center where childcare staff, parents, anybody in the community could come and make materials. And we have materials there that have been shown to, to be effective with special needs children. Or with so, all children. With mm-hmm. all children, but mm-hmm. also with, with children mm-hmm. who need routines, mm-hmm. who need visual aids and whatever. Mm -hmm. And we have staff who can help the people coming develop the materials that they need for their classroom Mm -hmm. or their child. And I noticed later in the series, you're going to have routines and schedules. Yes. And that would be a wonderful resource. You notice it's called the Resource Center. Mm -hmm. It also in 1980, I believe, was renamed the Alice Burroughs Resource to honor our first director. And there's also Peggy Hibbert, who was a long time, well, she was actually first president of the board of directors. We'll get to that later. But there's a little nook, a little snuggle nook, which I love. You could go in there Mm -hmm. with your child, or I've been in there with patients sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, just to snuggle and read books. It's a wonderful little corner. The Resource Center, it closed, of course, during the pandemic. It's open now, and it's. I just was in there. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. They have everything. And but, I know they have more books about social-emotional learning for young children, mm-hmm. which is now becoming its own genre, I feel like. Yes. As a child psychologist, yeah. I absolutely love shopping mm-hmm. for children's books now because there's so many yeah. great mm-hmm. ones out there. And so they're going to have more, more books about topics in early childhood, but also behavior and emotional development that parents want to And learn many about. more books for children to read, too. Mm-hmm. You know, at even the preschool, three years, two years, they've got hardback books, you know, the hard copies for little ones, than the regular public library will have. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. again, I like the word resource yes. yeah. for the community. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I think there's also videos. Um, yes, yeah. the video. So. I forgot about all the videos. Mm-hmm. They're perfect. For sure. So everything just 
kept expanding and expanding in the 70s. But in the 80s, I this fact has always fascinated me. Project Enlightenment decided to just go even younger, investigating the mental health of infants and how infants and parents interact. So, Charlie, what can you tell us about the partnership with Wake Meds NICU or the neonatal develop, um, department and their services to families with infants mm-hmm. in the NICU? Yes. Uh, well, we... We had one staff member who had a particular interest in, in infant mental health and had a relationship with someone who worked at the, at the neonatal intensive care unit. We also found that some of the children referred to us when they got to preschool had spent time in the neonatal mm-hmm. intensive care unit. And the, th- the thing is that it's a traumatic time for parents because— right. Their child is, they're separated from the parents, can't live there. They, they can mm-hmm. visit. They're there for a period of time. And a small number of them have disabilities and get services when they leave. But a lot of these children have no identified disabilities. But what they have is very anxious parents <laughs> because they don't know how their child's going to develop. Mm-hmm. They really haven't had the time or the the space to to bond the way that mm-hmm. that they needed to, and so what the people in the NICU saw as a need, and and what our staff felt like they could provide was follow up to these families after they left. Mm-hmm. So the model that we used was a home visiting model. So it's like, you know, we'll come into your house, and the first thing that they did in with, with this program was they did a quick evaluation of the child because that's what the parent was worried about. Is my child doing okay? Mm-hmm. And would give the parent feedback. And then however the child was doing would look at what the child's developmental level was and what activities, what types of things the parents could do with these children to, to help nurture their development. Mm-hmm. And it was a very successful program. I bet. They wrote a curriculum which which got published and got disseminated. And then a lot of the people who worked with this program said, you know, all parents need this. <laughs> it would be great to have a <laughs> home true. visitor come once a month, teach about child development, help the parent know what activities would be helpful mm-hmm. with their child at the level that they were at. Mm-hmm. Two of the staff people went to a conference and they found out about a program that was being developed called Parents as Teachers. They said, we could bring this to Wake County. It was already in one county in North Carolina, Rutherford County. Anyway, and and we got together with the people there and wrote grants and were, were able to bring Parents as Teachers to Wake County. And then it spread across the state. Mm-hmm. Um because two of the people on the project's staff became national trainers. And because to, to, to deliver parents as teacher services, you have to have certification, you have to go through training. And so that program does home visiting. It was, it was birth to three, and I think it's now birth to five. And they go into the homes and work with the parents on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And, and it's still happening. And it's still, still in Wayne County. We, well, it's part and, of project. And it, yeah. And I, I think we probably have some listeners who are wondering what in the world is infant mental health. So, Barbara, <laughs> will you give us a quick definition of that? And also, I think help listeners understand 
how parent anxiety, just kind of a little overview, how parent anxiety does impact Mm -hmm. infants Mm -hmm. and attachment. Well, it's that whole interaction Mm -hmm. between the caregiver, the primary caregiver, and the baby, the infant. It actually, if you think about it, there's a lot of research now going down into the perinatal you know, when you're pregnant mm-hmm. and the kind of, uh, of cortisol mm-hmm. that gets in the meconium and just you really end up with that interaction between what's going on biologically with the baby in utero or after it's born or the few months afterwards and the caregiver's emotional state. Mm-hmm. So being able to calm yourself and to be calm with your baby will do everything with regulation. And as a matter of fact, the research all uses the word regulation. But in general concept, we say mental health. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's an infant's ability to regulate, to pay attention, to stay connected, to be able to calm after, you know, when one of the things you look for in the NICU even is for the baby that gets agitated but then knows how to calm down. Mm-hmm. So it's about regulation. Right. That that rhythm of waking, eating, mm-hmm. sleeping, feeling attached, you know, feeling like um, I'm going to move up the developmental ladder here just a, a few months, and feeling secure in the safe container of your parents' embrace. If that that is a is wonderful too. explanation, <laughs> I love that. And as so as I always explain it too, is the the client is the relationship at that age. Mm-hmm. Infant, you know, infant toddler mental health is really the the infant toddler well, parent Well, Winnicott dynamic. says, with, not to be too research-oriented, but Winnicott 50 years ago more said, there is no such thing as a baby. It's a baby and a mom, although now we say caregiver yeah. uh-huh. because so many dads and others are involved. But, yeah, it's never just the baby. Right. and But the other focus of the, of the Parents <laughs> as Teachers program and other home visiting programs is on early education. Mm-hmm. So parents are are encouraged, read to your baby, talk to your baby. And that forms the basis of later educational activities. Mm-hmm. But but reading, talking, playing is so critical. Mm-hmm. And if you start from the beginning with that kind of relationship, mm-hmm. it, it really does help prepare children mm-hmm. to be successful in school. And, and so. I would add touch. Mm-hmm. Just that, you know, the, just that constant, you know, your skin is the largest sensory system. Aren't you having an OT later mm-hmm. in the series? We are having an I, OT later. You know, yeah. so, we, so that, that whole skin, I think I told someone in uh, state government about a decade ago, you may remember that, that when you read to your baby, put your, baby, your child up against your chest and watch how your heart rhythm and your baby's become one. Mm-hmm. And so that the, I will always bring the touch in too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so by the time we get to the 90s, this is people are paying attention, right? <laughs> to Project Enlightenment and this this awesome work and innovative work everybody's doing. So that was the decade where Governor Jim Hunt took notice and wanted to incorporate some of these ideas across the state. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Well, again, Charlie is our, our historian, by the way. Right, for the, so you probably for, both for, have ideas on this one. But here's, here's the story I heard. I heard that uh, Robin Brett, who was the Secretary of Health and, and um, Human Services at the time mm-hmm. under Governor Hunt, he made a visit to Project Enlightenment. And I heard that it caused quite a—he came with a full entourage, and there was like— motorcycles and guards and there were like all of Boylan was closed down but he was so impressed 
with what he saw there that he brought all that information back to Governor Hunt so that much of Project's model that, again, they just formed by their instinct of what worked for babies and parents uh, was part of the Smart Start program that went across the state. And you may right. know more about well, that. Well, and the Smart Start service incorporated a much bigger perspective because the whole perspective was on young children, child care, and mental health was a component. So they used components of Project Enlightenment as models for other uh, county Smart Start programs mm -hmm. to adopt. And, and Smart Start was early childhood education across North Carolina. Yes. Across the whole state. Mm -hmm. And every mm -hmm. county has a Smart Start. And it's implemented different ways in different counties, but there are certain, certain programs are statewide. And uh, I understand that Smart Start and Project have continued to have quite a relationship over the years. Our county... Smart Start has funded, you know, That's a lot of individual programs, grants, programs, and, and for right project. now they're they're funding the parents as teachers mm -hmm. program um, completely. So there's so, good mm -hmm. collaboration. Right. Awesome. So um, into the '90s, similar programs started popping up. I know I felt this as a a young parent that there seem to be a lot of services now, and it's hard to know where to go and what to do and who's mm -hmm. doing it you know, the mm -hmm. best, mm -hmm. but um, there are a lot of great similar programs that started evolving in the 90s and mm -hmm. 2000s. So Project Enlightenment kind of found its place among those. So mm -hmm. why do you think that was? I think there were just so many programs that they had started mm -hmm. that now were, were being duplicated, mm -hmm. either because from, uh, you know, another brain source or thought think tank or whatever, but Project actually originated many of those services. I mean, mm -hmm. they have parent services, teacher education services, Triple P, which we'll talk about later, uh, parents as teachers. And um, the resource the, center. The resource and the center and the demonstration preschool. preschool. Mm -hmm. And many of their staff just did a great job, I think, because mm -hmm. I was working pretty much through the 90s and the last two decades in the 2000s. I would often refer people to Project First, to say, hey, what what do they offer, but particularly in the way of prevention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they would always know their staff, their other programs that had developed, mm -hmm. even before I did. And so. I think there's been a lot of effort in Wake County to help programs collaborate with, with one another, not duplicate services. And, mm -hmm. and a big part of the history of Project Enlightenment has been collaboration. Mm -hmm. So when other agencies came in, we didn't say, Let's try to stop them. We said, let's see how we can work yes. together. Right. Yeah. Let's see, because there's not an there's still not enough services to right. go around for everyone who needs yeah. them. Right. So what's critical is to say, how can we collaborate and do the best with the resources right. that we have and work together as a community? And I think that's that's still happening in Way County. Um, that's a great point. And I think a lot of people, um, young parents, will think, well, do I go here? Do I go here? a lot of the resources we have are modeled after a project and they're very high quality. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so you're right. We still don't have enough for everybody. So, um, you know, starting with project, but then also learning about mm -hmm. other resources, which we're going to highlight lots of different topics yes. in this podcast series to help parents um, know more about supporting their child in Wake County. So my final question is just to wrap this back around to the foundation. So as public education grew in Wake County, well, as Wake County grew, Public education obviously kept growing. 
And we noticed that some schools um, were setting up nonprofit foundations to extend support for public schools. So how did the Project Enlightenment Foundation come about? Well, between 2001 and 2005, much of the funding landscape had changed. There was just less money to work with. And the other piece that was happening was mental health funding and mental health. The health, the direction of mental health was shifting. Um, they went through a reform period. Several public schools, I think Underwood was one, Broughton was one, had already established a funding source by coming up with these nonprofits, foundations, that would help them with monies that the main school system couldn't provide. Mm-hmm. So that was really a model for us at Project to begin thinking about establishing our own foundation. Mm-hmm. And I might let Charlie finish up with that one because uh, you all did a great job with this foundation. Started Well, in- and, and the foundation started... In 2006. Six, yeah, right. Uh, right and, about, you had and, about a year you were working on it. And a former staff member who had retired, Dr. Pe- Peggy Hibbert, who was the coordinator of the demonstration preschool at some time and very knowledgeable about the services, stepped up and said, you know, she would be president of this foundation. And I retired shortly afterwards, so I joined. Mm-hmm. We got a wonderful group of people t- together to be the first board of directors. Including Jim Graham, which I have to mention has Mm -hmm. been a huge supporter. Uh, His wife worked at Project or volunteered there. And and Jim has just been, and he became our first treasurer Mm -hmm. and biggest supporter. The foundation has kept going since then. Mm -hmm. And and, and, Emily um, here is our well, she just stepped down as chair. Yes. And this now, is our first podcast. The chair, so and this always, is the first podcast. We're doing new things. Yes. So yeah. um, it brings it full circle to when I was planning these questions and thinking about interviewing you all on historical ideas. I, I just kept coming back to we're still doing the same thing. We're still serving children through parent education it's just that now all the parents are listening to podcasts. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, and, and and Barbara, I think you need to talk about Triple P, which oh, yes. is, yes. Which is a, a, I think, the, the newest initiative of Project Enlightenment mm-hmm. and the foundation mm-hmm. is going to be helping out with that program. Um, it started with our second director, Dr. Cynthia Chambly. She was wonderful. She came up with, and the rest of the project staff working with her had found this grant with John Rex Endowment. And so it was granted from 2013 to 2017, but it has had additional funding for sustainability through 2022. So what is it's called Triple P. P. It's evidence-based. We, you know, now we have evidence-based program. It's out of Australia. Triple P means positive parenting uh, program. However, I will say and I, if, if uh, people who are Triple P providers don't mind me saying this, Project had booklets on all of these topics and all of this parenting and counseling 20 years earlier. Mm-hmm. It's just that we didn't know how to make money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, and, we didn't. And we didn't have the resources, resources to, to do the kind of research to make a program evidence-based. Yes, and they, and they did. So, yeah. But that's the beauty of collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. they approached you with this grant, and oh, you said, yes. Yes, we're going we're gonna to do this. And uh, 
It was an amazing uh, feat for the director of the Triple P is uh, Ashley Lindsay. She's wonderful, and she understand this collaboration. So she pulled all the silos together, all the public agencies that might have an interest in counseling to parents and parent education. She pulled private practice. She pulled alternatives like faith-based organizations, speech and language, OT practices, any group that might have an interest providing triple P services, Mm -hmm. meaning parent education and counseling. And, it's and also an, making services more parent-friendly. I mean, some, parent, some, but it, but, some and standardized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's standardized. So that if you're involved in um, Safe Child, but then you go over to another agency like Hope Services, you're, you've got the same program right? doing your support and your counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, we have 22 in the coalition. It is just an amazing program, and we hope to continue with grants mm-hmm. to keep it sustainable. Yeah. Does that explain that? Yeah. Okay. I'm really curious, having you both here, to ask, what do you think about the evolution of the mental health stigma over your careers over the last 40, 50 years? I don't know. What have you noticed about in your work and how I feel like there's still a stigma, but it's getting better, but I know that it it's got to feel more drastic of a change to the two of you? I think people are much more open to the idea that mental health is a need. We're seeing it in legislation that's coming down. We're seeing it a lot of different places. But I think in in some places, Mm -hmm. there still is a stigma attached Mm -hmm. to mental health. And I also think it's not just, you know, by area of the country or internationally. But what I do see is that parents, at least in the last decade, are okay with the word counseling. Mm-hmm. or parent education, but therapy, you know, we don't need therapy as a family, or, or my child is not does not need therapy. Mm-hmm. So, and again, as a child psychologist of really little ones, I could easily say, well, we're just going to be playing as a family and working on uh, resolving some of the issues you mm-hmm. have. So, yeah. it, it, so, yes, there's still a stigma. I also wish most public schools would embrace this model of having – counseling or mental health or prevention models in their schools. To me, it was a brilliant idea back then, and it's still a great idea. And I, I, I wish I could talk to boards all over the country, school boards mm-hmm. all over the country to say, what can we do? What program can we bring in, Project Enlightenment, <laughs> that will um, enhance and make your schools more effective, mm-hmm. you know, but by teaching this model early on. In the preschool years, in the kindergarten years. Thank you so much for being here, both of you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Raising Young Children in Wake County, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation, which you can find at projectenlightenmentfoundation.org. We would love for you to subscribe to this show and share it with your friends and fellow parents. We're all in this together, and we hope we can make a difference in the lives of parents and children. Thanks to KNL Gates, a global law firm with offices in Raleigh and RTP for their generous contribution to make this podcast happen. Thank you to our sponsors, the Empire Gives Back Foundation and Empire Eats, which includes the downtown Raleigh restaurants, City, 
gravy, Raleigh Times, Mecca, and the Pit Authentic Barbecue, bringing great food to the community as well as supporting local causes, especially those that touch the lives of children. Thanks to BHDP, an award-winning international architectural firm, which is recognized for intelligent, innovative, and inspiring design solutions in architecture, planning, and interior design. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we'll see you again soon on Raising Young Children in Wake County. Please join us for Project Palooza 2022 a celebration of Project Enlightenment service to children, families, and educators in Wake County since 1969. This is a free event taking place at Project Enlightenment in downtown Raleigh on Saturday, October 8th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m.